Hi, and welcome to Answers News for January the 5th, 2022. I'm Georgia Purdom. This is Brian Osborne and Patricia Engler. I got the year right, so I think I should get some kind of you know like, definitely yeah. kudos for that. Give like a high five or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we have a wonderful studio audience joining us today, so make yourselves known. Let's hear it. Come on. There we go. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> it's cold today. I mean, it's getting colder. So it's a bit chilly. Know, a little slow response. Well, we were just in North Carolina for Christmas, and it was like 70 degrees. My wife was really sad about that. She it was like 70 weather. degrees here, though, too. So it was pretty warm. It's the pretty warmest warm. Christmas I've ever experienced. <laughs> well, you're Canadian, the Canadian, right? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so a couple of things we want to talk about that are coming up here at the Answer Center, at the Ark Encounter, which is where we're um, doing this program from. And we have our VBS showcase, and this next well this year's yeah it's this year's vbs now is called zoomerang and so it's all going to be about the sanctity of life and i'm really looking forward to this particular vbs i love the theme and it's not just about you know we think about abortion and the unborn but it's also it's really about the spectrum of life and no mm. matter what age um, no matter what ability that all life is precious and so i'm really excited that we're going to have that as the theme of our vbs this year along with the australian theme which is Totally. Well, cool. With the Australian you, accents. Yeah, really you cool. have to pronounce right. it with an Australian accent. Yeah. Zimarang. <laughs> Nicely done, Canadian. Look at that, yeah. Yeah, so that'll be really fun. And, um, I, and I'll tell you this, too, with our VBSs, what I love about them so much is the content's going to be good, meaty, mm -hmm. and cover real issues from real biblical worldview. It's also got all the bells and whistles of a good VBS, very oh, yeah. vibrant, lots of activities, fun games, all the food stuff. I mean, mm -hmm. it's really, really well done. Yeah, and it's just $25 to come to the showcase event. So if you're a VBS director or somebody that helps out with that, uh, it's a great way to see all of the different aspects of the B of the VBS in one day. And then the day before the showcase event, we're having the Life is Precious conference, and um, that will be, uh, there'll be four presentations given here at the Ark Encounter. Um, it's just $50, and along with your $50 uh, registration for the conference, you also get admission to the Ark Encounter. That's cool. Which good is deal. a really, really great savings. Um, and so um, <clears throat> I'm going to be presenting at that, so, you know, plugging plugging myself here. <laughs> anyway, uh, and uh, Ken Ham will be yeah. speaking along with Station McKeever, who actually directs our VBS and, and puts That's all good, of this yeah. together every year, and Camille Cates. And so we're going to be talking about different aspects of life. Um, so Stacia has a child with a disability, and Camille mm. is going to share her abortion testimony. And so lots, just talking about many different aspects of that um, from both a personal perspective, as well as just, um, you know, a perspective of starting with God's word, all life is precious. And, and we're going to talk about, you know, we talk about that a lot, it seems like, in our um, Answers News, um, because it's constantly at the forefront of our it culture is. today. So we need to be addressing that and talking about that. So go to answers, getanswers.org slash life to be able to register for that. You can go, also go to answersvbs.com uh, for information on the showcase event as well as the conference. Okay. Whew, I'm out of breath. All Nicely right. done. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. All right, moving on. Okay, so first article is always a little bit of a fun article. Why do we stick out our tongues when we're concentrating? Okay, so my daughter, who's, you know, an 18-year-old, right. she always will say, Mom, why are you sticking out your tongue <laughs> when I'm doing something that requires a lot of intense focus? So I was like, I totally I didn't know you did that. This. I learned something. Yeah, I totally yeah. do that. Yeah. Um, and it turns out that uh, we probably do that, and one of the theories, at least, is that 
uh, we're doing it a lot of times we're doing something that requires fine motor control and so the area of our brain that controls um, sort of our tongue and language also is near the area of our fine motor control for our hands so they almost overlap so they think that when you're trying to do something with your hands it's just kind of a it's oh, spilling over, so to speak, into your mouth. <laughs> and so you're holding your tongue in a certain way as a result of that. The first thing I thought of, who in here remembers Michael Jordan, the basketball player? A couple, yeah, you know, <laughs> he was known for sticking out his tongue as he was dunking on people. So I, that was my first connection to that. <laughs> um, yeah. Interesting. I was kind of wondering, like, if there is that connection between manual dexterity and communication, like, it'd be just interesting research. Like, if they look at musicians and artists and people who use their hands mm -hmm. a lot, like, are they oh, better yeah. communicators and writers? Mm -hmm. Like, that'd be kind of interesting. You guys are writers and <laughs> you're yeah. like secret artists and musicians. That would be yeah. interesting. Yeah, it would be. I mean, I'm not musical, so oh, okay. you know, I would not I would not be able to help you on that one. Okay, I draw a bit, but that doesn't mean... <laughs> and it's really kind of interesting to watch them try to explain the origin of language from the evolutionary worldview, right? Because it's such a conundrum from that perspective. How do you get these finely articulated words and ideas, the way our tongues move to make different sounds, to communicate ideas, facial expressions, all communicating communicating in a very effective way. Mm. How do you get that in the evolutionary worldview? Right. And so, and, and they're thinking, they think, well, apes first, you came on the scenes, we evolved from apes in evolutionary thinking. And then we use hand gestures. That was our kind of way of communicating, what, right? Yeah. This is what the apes did, right? apparently, and so I'm part ape because I do talk with my hands a whole lot. Yeah. There's no doubt I about <laughs> that. Yeah, and uh, that thinking. But then somehow that went from just the hand gestures to the tongue movements and thus the speech. But how do you make that transition? How do you go from hand movements to actual words and ideas and paragraphs and singing and songs. It's a big problem for the evolution. So evolutionary much world, evolutionary you know? storytelling that you, it's really arbitrary. You just have to come up with some sort of explanation because mm -hmm. that's your worldview. But yeah. from a biblical perspective, speech makes a lot of sense. Yeah, somebody said, is this why a person cannot put on mascara without opening their mouth? I think it might be. I don't know. Do you know, Brian? <laughs> I, I don't know. I could ask my wife. She's in the audience. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. There could be. Maybe there's some connection there. Who knows? Okay. A gene-tweaked jellyfish offers a glimpse of other minds. And so this is talking about a very, very, very tiny jellyfish. Okay, so we're talking one centimeter. That's how big this thing is. And so what they've been able to do is they've been able to splice in a gene into its DNA that when a nerve fires, this um, gene will produce a, basically a protein called green fluorescent protein. So whenever, whenever a whenever a um, neuron basically fires, it glows green. So is, cool. Is what the that outcome is pretty cool. is. Which is really cool. <laughs> I mean, I'm a geneticist, so this is the cool stuff you can actually do. Um, and because these are so tiny and transparent, they basically put them on a microscope slide, and they're able to see this, which is, again, really, really cool. And so that's like the good observational science. They're trying to look right. at how this brain operates, how what we can learn from that, how different brains can operate, even our brain. So looking at commonalities and functionality, which is good science. Mm -hmm. But then, of course, in the article, they want to make these connections to evolution. That, well, supposedly the jellyfish brains are some of the first, quote-unquote, brains. They're not really brains yet, but they're getting there, right? And so we can look at those brains as the first way of thinking. They're evolving up to our brains today, and we can see how the brains evolved over time. They're trying to make that connection all the way through. And when they do that, it goes from observational science to pure storytelling. Exactly. So, yeah, so that's just like a big part of critical thinking when you're reading these articles is looking at, like you said, what part is fact and what are we actually observing and then what is just the assumptions based on evolutionary ideas that are being used to interpret the science 
that we're actually seeing. So one of the things, the quote was, um, by looking for shared, speech, uh, shared features and distantly related creatures, we can map out when they first evolved. And they're saying that studying jellyfish this way improves our understanding of evolution because all oh, the similarities in, in how uh, the thinking happens, like that kind of shows how evolution happens. Um, and that assumption that similarities show common ancestry is the basis for a lot of evolutionary storytelling, even just the ideas of where jellyfish versus humans belong on their ideas of the evolutionary tree. But again, that's just an evolutionary interpretation. Right. So the fact is that we can see some similarities between creatures, but you can also explain that in terms of we have a good designer, and that's it right. makes sense for a good designer who makes good designs to use those good designs, like neurons, in different species. And the way they function is very different mm -hmm. between the way a jellyfish functions and the way our brains function and what they can do. So there are a lot of clear distinctions between the yeah, two. Yeah, and then what they did find is even in this tiny little jellyfish, what was cool to me was they thought that it would be really diffuse. Like it has a neural network. It doesn't yeah. have a neural net. It doesn't have a brain. And they thought, well, you know, when it does different things, we're just going to see it be really all over the place. Mm -mm. It's very organized. And it's actually organized almost like a pizza with different wedges. And so different wedges of the neural net do different things. So even in this thing that is one centimeter big, right, we see God's amazing complex complex design in right. that and Absolutely. and so and it's real cool because i mean we might be able to study how these neurons how they're interacting with each other and all of that and that may have applications to humans and how neurons fire there we're not saying that but again it's a lot of evolutionary storytelling amid the observational science that we see it, because there's commonality and function doesn't mean we are related in the past right mm -hmm. and the implications of this are not to be skipped over there's a quote here from the article that says this they the jellyfish kind split off from our branch of the evolutionary tree some 600 million years ago. We are more closely, as humans, we are more closely related to a squid or a worm or a fly than to any of these jellyfish. That's so, encouraging. Yeah, right? if you kill a fly, you know, yeah. that you don't want around, <laughs> like that has some implications for humans. And so what it shows is the value of human life in these two different worldviews. In yeah. one worldview, you're just a rearranged pond scum. No more value than that of a fly or a squid or a jellyfish in the biblical worldview. You're made in the image of the living God. Yeah. And therefore have inherent value and dignity. So yeah. clear distinctions uh, actually are implications related to this sort of thinking. Yeah. Good point. All right, Richard Leakey, Kenyan conservationist, dies aged 77. I was actually kind of surprised at the headline that they decided to highlight his conservation um, activities versus the fact that he's actually probably more well-known yeah. for his paleoanthropology. And so he was one of the first people, and his, his parents were involved in this kind of work too. So um, he was the first one, quote-unquote, to explain the emergence of Homo erectus, an ancestor of modern humans. Now, Homo erectus is not an ancestor of modern humans. Homo erectus is fully human. Yes, and we have a nice exhibit at the Creation Museum that explains that in more detail. That's Neanderthals right. are fully human. Okay, they have some characteristics to them that are a little bit different from humans today, but it doesn't make them any less human because of that. Yeah, just all variation within the human kind and that exhibit has just like, it just shows you really clearly how there's like the great ape kind, the human kind. You don't have to try to mesh them together and call them all the same thing and there's moral implications when you try to do that. Mm -hmm. so. And it's interesting they go through his life and they kind of highlight some of the key points of his life and he did some good things in oh, his yeah. life no doubt about that no he doubt. was big on stopping poaching in Kenya which is a really big deal and uh, as Christians we say yes we should be good stewards of God's creation and poaching would not be that uh, my question to, to those who would be of like mine as to him why do you care about poaching right 
in the evolutionary worldview, if that's your worldview and might makes right, and really we're just rearranged ponds come, why not kill other living things if it makes you happier for your own benefit? Even if you want to push them to extinction, why not right. do that? in the evolutionary worldview. The local worldview, we got a reason to care about other living things. Oh, for sure, and that's such an important question to ask really for anything like what you're talking about, yeah. any kind of evolutionary article or um, idea. If you say, okay, why does this matter? Why do we care about that? Even uh, arguments that are trying to attack the Bible for some sort of moral basis, like, wait a minute, why do we care? Because that highlights things like morality and truth and logic that are founded in a biblical worldview that don't have a foundation in an evolutionary worldview. So it's a really easy way to show those inconsistencies. And of course, like what you were saying, the evolutionary worldview doesn't provide a foundation for protecting even elephant life, much less human life. So again, that's, that's right. where we get back to those moral implications. Right. And he kind of went through it and talked about his personality. He said he was a fighter. He went through some real hard times as a kid, fallen broken. He broke his skull. Yeah, this wow. man's been through like a lot uh, physically. Speaking. Kidney transplants, had both legs removed after a plane crash. I mean, the man went through a lot during his life, and he survived. And sure. he still pushed through and did things on this, on this planet. But as far as we know, he definitely was not a believer mm -hmm. from what he said and what he believed in worldview implications and evolutionary ideology. And so all of his accomplishments here on Earth they mean nothing in the light of eternity. It's all for naught. You know, the Bible says in Mark chapter 8, over in verse 36, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Right? And then, you know, as we look at this, I'm reminded, we, we were talking earlier before the yeah. show, uh, a good friend of ours, and one of the, just one of the big parts of the, the beginning of this ministry, a guy named Patrick Marsh. We went to a celebration of his life last night. He just right. recently passed away, and so yeah. did Dr. David Minton, and of course mm -hmm. others as well. We've gone to their funerals and their celebrations of life, and we can go to those places, and we can be sad they're gone, but right. we know they're Christians, and we know they're in heaven, and we know that the, their life leaves a legacy that Patrick Marsh was on about the gospel, preaching God's right. truth and his word and through, his good news. Through everything that you see at the museum Absolutely. and at the Ark, he said, everything speaks. Everything speaks. And so I the love design that, the that you see is, is a result of his work. And that's going to make, that's going to have an eternal impact. It's got impact sure. here on earth, but also mm -hmm. when it's done for Christ, yeah. when you do anything for Christ, it has eternal impact because yeah. it's done for God's glory and for your good. Yeah. And so what a beautiful hope we have in Christ that whatever we're doing for him has eternal value. But apart from him, it really means nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So true. Important reminder. Okay. Millipedes as big as cars once roamed northern England. Fossil find reveals. Okay. This is really <laughs> cool. So last, so I th yeah, with last week we talked about, or maybe it was earlier this week. I can't remember one or the other. We talked about millipedes that have a lot of legs. So you would think millipede sounds like they should have a thousand legs, but technically most millipedes don't have that many legs, but they found some that do now that have over a thousand legs. So that was really cool. So then we have another millipede article and I'm showing you a picture of one that's actually a little bit smaller than the one they just found. Um, so it's nine feet long and 110 pounds. Who would like to see a nine foot long millipede? I kind of like I know my I son would raise his hand, yes. Right. Not in my house. Not in my house. I'm no. going to take some I'm kind of fly swatter, all right? <laughs> I mean, that's pretty freaky. Um, but it's cool because they found this in um, flood sediment. Now, they're not mm. going to say it's flood sediment, but sure. we know that's what it was found in. And these, um, it's fully articulated. So normally they find them in pieces, yeah. um, but this one's fully articulated. So it probably got buried very quickly, right, very deeply, so that it could be preserved like that. And it's really cool. We can find it today. And totally. You, and you got to bury something deeply and quickly to preserve it for any period of time, any lengthy mm -hmm. period of time. Mm -hmm. And so the secular worldview has a really big problem here because in their thinking, this particular fossil find is 
millions of years old, if not hundreds of millions of years old. How do you preserve an insect for hundreds of millions of years? Right. You really can't do that. You got to bury something quickly and rapidly to protect it from decomposition and oxygen and scavengers to preserve it even just for thousands of years, like is the real case from a biblical perspective. Yeah, there's so much like support for rapid burial, like all throughout the mm -hmm. fossil record. I've talked to, uh, on my travels, I actually talked to a geologist who was a atheistic professor and he traveled the world looking at rocks and everywhere he's like, that looks like a flood happened. And that looks like a flood happened. <laughs> and then he heard uh, about Noah's Ark. Yeah. Right. And then he's like, oh, wait a minute. So he actually became a creationist before becoming a Christian just based on the geologic evidence, which was really cool. Well, and they had said too in this article, it's interesting because they thought the previous fossils they found of this millipede were in different rock layers. And so they always thought that, well, it got really big because the there was a peak in atmospheric oxygen, but this one was found in rock layers before that peak supposedly happened. Right. So then how do you explain, I mean, then again, the evolutionary you know, ideas are changing because the evidence doesn't fit what they thought and they have to go back and change them so, again. Yeah. So, Within you know. a pre-flood world and we'd yeah, maybe right. expect higher temperatures, it, it makes a lot of sense. And there are a lot of things that lived in the past that the, they get bigger than their, common, uh, their modern day counterparts do. Mm -hmm. We find some big dragonflies in the fossil record with right. like a 50 inch wingspan, roaches that were 18 inches long, rats that weighed mm. almost 2,000 pounds. Yeah, oh. okay. I mean, like huge critters, big turtles. Think about megalodons, these yeah. big sharks that look like great whites getting to 60 to 80 feet in length. So things used to get a lot bigger in the mm -hmm. past, or at least some things did, which screams it was a different kind of atmosphere or something was different right in the past which makes well, sense in the biblical world somebody said imagine the can of raid you'd need for that <laughs> and so yeah it'd be pretty big that's for sure so Ugh. anyway moving on from large insects too nasa looks to religious scholars for answers and so um the u.s space agency has recruited 24 scholars and given them basically a one it's a 1.1 million dollar grant to help bridge the understanding of various disciplines including scientists and religious scholars I'd be glad and, to all, help. and yeah. understanding <laughs> that right. idea if yeah. looking for life on other planets or looking for life in other places uh, my first question when i read the article or the headline even was uh, which ones yeah. Which like, religious yes. scholars are you deferring to to try to glean these answers about mm -hmm. how finding aliens might affect the way people perceive reality or their religious view, or et cetera, et cetera? Uh, but uh, it goes through and gives some interesting ideas about what people are thinking. And what one of the things I really pulled away from the article is that these religious scholars are trying to dive into questions that science really can't answer. Mm -hmm. Questions like, what is life? What does it mean to be alive? What does life have value? Separating human life and its value from alien life. Where do you draw these lines? And it was a good reminder to me, I think, to share with all of us that science is limited. By definition, science is limited. It cannot explain everything, especially, especially philosophically and so forth. And so we've got to keep that in mind because so much in our culture today, science is almost deified. Right, when you follow the science, that's, that's your drop the mic moment. You can't say anything else. That's the last line. But science is limited, especially to history and philosophy and meaning and so forth. Yeah, and it's talking about looking to religious scholars, but basically all scholars are religious in a sense. Like everybody true. has that's a worldview. Yeah. So, yeah. and these are worldview questions, like what you talked about, that they're looking at, and how you answer those questions is going to depend on what you already believe and your presuppositions. So, those are just your ideas, your. Um, statements that can't you can't necessarily prove are true, but you have to assume are true to reason about other things. So like, is there a God versus is there not a God? Those sorts of um, ideas. And then um, within a biblical worldview, uh, uh, the Bible passes the test of a valid presupposition because a valid presupposition, this, the basis for your worldview, 
has to be consistent with itself, so it doesn't mm -hmm. lead to contradictory statements, and it's consistent with the world around us. A biblical worldview passes that, a secular one doesn't. You can learn more about that on our website. So, and also humans are in, they're, they're fallible rather. God is infallible, humans aren't. So those are two really good reasons mm -hmm. to start with the Bible as your basis for thinking about these right. questions, so you don't have to shell out $1.1 million to. Yeah, well, <laughs> and they talk about, it always, this, this always cracks me up. So NASA has a growing astrobiology department Department. That's okay. your favorite one, right? That's my favorite department of all time, science department of all time, because it's literally the study of things that do not exist. There is no, I mean, there it's is true. no life in outer space. We have discovered zero life in outer space. And yet, I, I'm like, what do you people do on a daily basis? Like, how do you write papers with no evidence? I mean, right. I'm a scientist and I had to do experiments, right? And I had to figure these things out and write it up. What do you do if you don't have anything to experiment on? Maybe you know? watch Star Trek and, and glean the yes, information from that or Star really. Wars. And then they're getting movies. $1 million dollars to do this. So, And, you know, it, if they find microbial life on another planet like bacteria, okay, no big deal, right? I mean, probably it's contamination from this one, chances <laughs> are, because right. we send stuff all the time into outer space. But um, even if they find it, it's not intelligent life, right? Um, and, and it doesn't change anything for us as Christians because what we're saying is especially there's no intelligent life right. on other planets because Jesus did not die for aliens, right? Jesus died for mankind. And so that's where we really draw the line on that, so to speak, and have to think about that. That's right. And God created life on, well, God created the earth to be inhabited. It says that in Isaiah. So we would not really expect to find life on other planets because kind of what would be the point of that? You know, it's not, it's not helping mankind. And that's usually what life is about. And kind so. of bouncing off what you said, we've said this numerous times, but the problem with sentient life, life with a soul outside of this planet would be if you've got these Wookiees that have souls living on a different planet or these Vulcans living somewhere on a different <laughs> planet with different, and they have actual souls, they can live for eternity. Their problem is this. There's no account of God ever providing salvation for them. The whole of creation was cursed by our sin. Then Jesus became the God-man to pay our sin debt as part of the human race, not part of the Vulcan race or part of the, uh, uh, the Wookiees or whatever. And so they would be damned to hell without any possible way of salvation, theologically speaking. So that's a problem theologically. Right. Yeah. Now, of course, beaver. if the Wookiee didn't have a soul, then they're just like a what? A beaver, basically. Yeah, yeah just like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's alive, but it's, okay. it experiences the effects of the fallen world. just doesn't have a soul. Yeah. All right. Star Wars fans do not be talking about <laughs> Okay, I'm just saying. All right. Atheist activists want Bible verse scrubbed from sheriff's office wall, but sheriff refuses to back down. So, Yay. yeah, good for him. Uh, so this <clears throat> is in North Carolina, and basically he's got Philippians 4.13 on the wall there, and um, they've had many pictures taken by it and, um, and all, and no one's ever complained, but now a concerned citizen complained to the Freedom from Religious Found Religion Foundation, which the FFR, no, FRF, is that freedom from FFRF is yeah, what they call themselves. Go. Okay, blah. They like to do this. They like to stir the pot. They like to try to get these things removed. We've had problems with them here at Answers in Genesis as well. And they say it's a religious endorsement and it's an exclusionary display. Okay, here's the thing. You don't have to read it and you don't have to believe it, right? No one's forcing anyone to do that. Um, and, and so it really bothers me that these people are so easily offended and feel it's exclusionary. Well, and to say it's unconstitutional raises a pretty 
big problem really quickly because what about all the Bible verses uh, over <laughs> over in Washington D.C. on all the monuments and yep. when you go into the Supreme Court and all that are actually etched in stone on these different places that people put there a long time ago? Is that also is that forcing them to force people to believe in some other different religion than what they want to believe in? Not at all. So I mean, you can't make a good constitutional argument. On that, just on the face of it. And speaking of the Constitution, isn't like freedom of speech and like religious freedom part of the Constitution? Know, or right? maybe I'm misunderstanding that as a Canadian. I don't know. You could tell me. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it is. Okay. Yeah. And just checking. Yeah. And the thing is, is that, you know, they always scream tolerance at us. We have to be tolerant. Well, who's being intolerant now? Right? They're being yeah. intolerant of our of our of the Christian message. And that's really what this is about. It really if is. there was a verse up there from the Quran or a ver or a, a quote up there from Richard Dawkins, okay, he's an atheist, no one would squabble about it, right? But because it's a Bible verse, that's why everyone wants to be upset. It was about a it. if it was a verse from the Quran or maybe a, a quote from a, a transgender leader in our world today, oh, that yeah. probably went applause in our culture today because that's along with the cultural ideology and the cultural narrative. Right. Because it's actually promoting truth and light. The enemy mm -hmm. hates it, thus he attacks it in any way he can. And it, I love the uh, the sheriff's quote here in responding to people criticizing him, the attack he's enduring because of putting the Bible verse on his wall. He said this, it is time, past time, to stand up. Mm -hmm. So let me be clear, I will not waver on my stance and Christian beliefs. Yeah. And you know, whatever your you know, beliefs about him doing it in that particular setting, I would say this, as Christians within a Christian worldview and how we engage this culture, it's about time we start saying the same thing. Yeah. It is time that we stand up and to be clear, we will not waver on our stance on Christian beliefs because there is no neutrality. Either God's word is the authority or man's word is. Right. And we're yeah. going to stick with God's word. We're going to stand on that as our foundation on every issue. We'll do it in love, but we'll do it also boldly and in truth. And so I think we can glean a good point from this as mm -hmm. we engage this article. Absolutely. And that point that there's no neutrality kind of highlights that just some of these quotes that they are saying, like um, the sheriff has an obligation to provide all citizens with an environment free from religious endorsement by removing this exclusionary display that kind of falsely sets up this like fake dichotomy mm -hmm. of you have religious and then you have non-religious right. but actually these are worldviews everybody has these it's beliefs religious. it's all religious jesus said if you're not with me you're against me there is no neutrality and then it's also interesting how um the freedom from religious foundation is framing this as a rights issue so there's a couple quotes here talking about how um you know, just this blatantly Christian message sends a message of exclusion and um, they're choosing to violate citizens' constitutional rights by brazenly, brazenly endorsing Christianity. Um, but, I mean, when you think about it, the Bible is what offers and provides a basis for human rights in the first place. It That's provides right. a basis for truth and morals and justice and human value. Those are things that you do not have within a non-Christian worldview. Why does the Freedom from so, Religion Foundation care at all? Exactly. Back right. to that question. Why does it matter? So you can't take away Christianity and expect to have a foundation for human rights anymore. Instead, human rights become whatever you define them to be based on your evolutionary worldview, and that causes big problems. Well, And ironically, they're borrowing a biblical principle to argue against the Bible. They're arguing against the biblical idea that we have value because we're made right. in God's image. Yeah. Human rights, thus a result of that. They're borrowing that principle and trying to use that to argue against the Bible. Which is, yeah. The fact they can argue at all shows they're wrong. Totally, and it's called the stolen concept fallacy when you try to do that for that exact reason. It's a self-defeating yeah. argument, but a lot of people don't necessarily <laughs> think through that. Yeah, and I was thinking too, you know, when um, the um, Supreme Court basically um, said that gay marriage could be acceptable in the U.S., they lit up the White House in rainbow colors. All right. 
that offends me, right? But you didn't see me going and trying to whatever, sue the White House or sue the president over them lighting it up that way because we live in a country that has freedom of speech and freedom of religion. And while I may not agree with that particular message that the government... was supporting and showing, I'm not going to necessarily say, well, you need to take that down. Again, I don't agree with, you know, gay marriage. I don't agree with those ideas, but it's, it's just very, again, it's very one-sided. It's very, well, you know, you, you have to be quiet. You can't say these things, but, but we can, we can say what we want to say. So it's very much a double standard when it comes to that. Okay. Um, oh, whoops. I missed the article. Okay. Feminists launch campaign to shuttle women to Mexico for abortion, smuggle dangerous abortion pills into America. Okay, so this has to do with the Texas law that has effectively banned abortion in the state of Texas. And so what this article talks about is a feminist group that is wanting to take um, women through some sort of like underground railroad to Mexico to get abortions or get them abortion pills out of state and bring them in. Okay, here's the thing. Women can go to another state and get an abortion. It, they make it seem like it's this, oh, well, we got to do this on secret. It's their it's only option. Yeah, like we got to do this, you know, yeah. to preserve their right. No, we don't. They And actually, abortion is illegal in Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's decriminalized so that if they if a doctor does an abortion, they, they can't be penalized for that. But it's still illegal in Mexico as well. So they're literally so breaking the laws strange. of two different yeah. countries. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they frame this as an issue for like women's rights again and um, valuing women's health. But actually we were talking about how beforehand and they mentioned in the article, first of all, abortions don't generally save women's lives or help them. Right. They mm-hmm. uh, cite um, a bunch of research on that and they do harm lives, abortions we're, that we're talking about. Not only the lives of many, many unborn women, if it's women's rights we're concerned about, but also even like chemical abortions have those side effects on the women themselves. So. Well, then also notice they weren't helping men to get their abortions. <laughs> it does say women. That is funny. Right. Isn't that, right. shouldn't they be canceled because of that? I mean, you can't yeah. say that today in our culture, right? You need right? to say people. According to our cultural standards, men can become pregnant today by our cultural thinking based on the yep. transgender ideology. So they're inconsistent in that light, but, too. But, I mean, yeah. feminism and the, like, that's where you have another clash oh, there's between a big values. Conflict. Absolutely. So, yeah. And we need to be praying because the reason that um, that um, people are upset about these abortion laws is because um, right now, before the Supreme Court, there is an, there is the opportunity that they could overturn Roe v. Wade and saying that it is not a constitutional right for abortion. Now that states can still legalize abortion, but it would then go to the state level, not be at the federal level. Which we need to be praying that that yes, happens. We need to be praying that Roe v. Wade is overturned um, in the sense that it makes it not a constitutional. Constitutional right. Just real quickly, we have a couple resources I wanted to show you. Give me Glass House and Unplanned. So mm-hmm. Glass House is a great book that we have. It's just a few years old now, but it's called Shattering the Myth of Evolution. And we go through a lot of these evolutionary ideas, like mm-hmm. we talked about whales. Supposedly, you know, they were land animals, and then, or they were whales, and they came up and became land animals. It goes both ways. Uh, those ideas, you know, the idea of Neanderthals and Homo erectus. We talked about that. Yep. So it has a lot of those in there, um, those ideas in there, and it shows 
shows how, again, they fall apart from an evolutionary worldview, but these ideas of how God created, you know, whales separate from the land animals and how he created all beings in his, all human beings in his image are talked about in this um, particular book. So it's great for high school students, college students, um, anyone who really wants to understand these ideas better. And then Unplanned is a great movie. I mean, it's very hard to watch. Okay. So it's a true story about Abby Johnson and her um, going from literally working at Planned Parenthood and encouraging women to have abortion to working against that um, and being pro-life. And so um, we talked a little bit about chemical abortions and there's a, there's some very hard but very good scenes in here about what a woman goes through mm. um, when, it, when she has a chemical abortion, not just the fact that it kills the baby. And so these are great resources that we have available on our website. I encourage you to check those out. We are out of time for today, yeah. so we'll see you back on Monday. See you guys.